Well, good morning again, everybody. I wanted to say welcome to those of you who are here in our contemporary service. Also, special welcome to those of you joining us by video right now. I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Can you believe it's already the end of part one of our Restored series? If you've been around this kind of winter, spring, can we call it spring season yet? We're, hopefully we live in hope to the end of part one of our Restored series called The Good and Beautiful God. And one thing that means is that part two is coming. Part two launches next week on Easter. I'm really excited about that. In fact, I'm so excited about part two of this series, I'm actually a little bit nervous. I'm <laughs> a little nervous. I'm anxious about how great the work of God can be in our lives, uh, the work of restoration in our lives as we begin to learn about the good and beautiful life. But today is the last week of part one. We've been learning the good and beautiful God. We've been learning to know, to experience the character and the identity and the person of God as we get to know God in Jesus. And we trade in some of, the, some of the pictures of God we've picked up along the way that might be damaged, that might be deformed, that might be holding us back, and learn instead to know the good and beautiful God that we meet when we meet God in Jesus. And today is the, the last week of that journey. The whole idea of this journey has been that when we get to know the good and beautiful God that we meet in Jesus, and this gets us set off in the right direction. It's like building the foundation and building in the right way. We'll be moving in the right direction to the right, direction, right destination of life restoration. And when we are stuck with our own pictures of God that we have maybe made up or picked up or been damaged along the way, then we're moving in the right direction to get to the wrong destination, to get to the wrong place in life. We are learning that direction matters. Direction matters. I learned this in a funny way in my life in an experience that I wish I'd never had. About 12 years ago, we had just moved to Minnesota. I'm a runner, or I like to still think of myself as a runner who doesn't run that much anymore. Uh, I'm a, I've been a runner. And we moved up here. I was kind of getting to know the running scene in the White Bear area. And uh, in the spring of that first year that we were here, there was a race that was called the Northern Lakes 5K and 30K. Some of you maybe have run in this race. I don't know. It, went, it lasted for a number of years. I just signed up for the 5K, little three-mile race, kind of getting warmed up again, getting to know the area. And in this 5K, it was the first year that they had put this race on. And so the organizers were still getting the kinks worked out. And it was a relatively small crowd that came out that first year. And the, the racers in the 30K, that's an 18-mile race, they took off. And they had a lot longer path to go, of course. And then those of us who were in the 5K, 3.1 miles, we took off. And they were kind of right in the downtown White Bear Lake area on the west side of Highway 61 near the schools, near the north campus and that area there. And we took off. And it was clear from the very beginning of the race there was one guy in the race who was going to smoke the rest of us. I mean, he, I don't, I've hardly ever raced guys that fast before. He just took off. Half a mile into the three-mile race, we couldn't see him anymore. The twists and turns in the neighborhood. So as far as we were concerned, the rest of us were in the race, and he was running his own thing, right? And by the one-mile mark, I found myself near the front of the lead pack, uh, for second place, that is. And, uh, and pretty soon, there were three of us that had kind of separated ourselves in the pack a little bit. And so the three of us were racing for second place in this race, right? Now, any of you who are pretty competitive, you already, it already occurred to your mind that three people racing for second place means two people are going to wind up kind of in the podium spots, and there's one loser out of that group, right? All right, so we're racing. It's only a 5K. It's 3.1 miles. And in a 5K, for those of you who are not runners, you won't be able to believe this, but that's a short race, all right? And so you go pretty fast, you go pretty hard. There's no comfortable pacing in a 5K. So we're coming around. The mile markers aren't marked at all. It's a small race, first year. But I know by the pace that we're running and by the time that my watch says, the end of the race must be close. 3.1 miles. The three-mile mark must be somewhere where we are. I should be able to see the finish line by now. But we don't see it, right? 
We're on Division Street in, in the downtown White Bear Lake area, and we're coming down south toward what was then the Decoys Restaurant, now it's Pizzeria Pezzo, where Division Street comes south, and it makes this like right-hand L turn onto Fifth Street, right? Same place, Subway is there, the big parking lot, White Bear Bar is there. We're coming down, the three of us, right? And I figure the finish line, and the crowd, there's starting to be more people. The finish line has got to be here somewhere. My lactic acid-filled quads are screaming. The finish line has got to be here somewhere. My lungs are heaving, right? But I decide, as we come to this turn and we can't see it yet, that it must be just barely around the corner to the right. So I dig a little deeper. I find a little more energy. I find a little more speed. I find another gear, and I put on a little surge. I leave these two other guys a few steps behind me, which is all you need at that point in the race. And all three of us, I make the turn. The two other guys make the turn behind me. We've just barely made the turn. And the people start screaming, the finish line is over there. You don't have to know the details, but there's a little sidewalk that goes like straight a little bit to the left, and I had just led us a little bit to the right. It's 20 yards away. Like, it's as close as you are to me right now. And I don't, when you're that tired and your legs are that heavy and you're running at full speed in that direction, stopping and turning 180 degrees this way, not so easy. So the guy that I had just put in fourth place was immediately in second place. <laughs> the guy in third place gets to stay in third place off the podium, right? <laughs> Bummer. I learned that direction matters. <laughs> and when you're going in the wrong direction, direction matters even more than speed, right? I won the race to the wrong place. <laughs> and I came in fourth coming over here. I guess I didn't really win anyway, but as far as we were concerned, I was going to win. It's not that big of a deal. It was a small community 5K. I didn't get my little medal, but I still got the t-shirt. I know where that is. It's all worn out now. It's a lot more important to understand this in the things that actually matter in life. When we find out that direction matters, and if you're moving in the wrong direction, it matters way more than the speed at which you're moving, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a parent, I'm 40 years old, I have kids that are 11 and nine, middle school, elementary age. Other parents, I, you know, man, we are just running the kids to everything, right? I mean, there's practices and games and recitals and rehearsals and appointments and parties and lessons, and we're moving so fast. We're moving so fast, we hardly even know what direction we're moving in sometimes. And maybe you, like me, have occasionally wondered if we're going to wake up some morning 18 years from now and wonder what happened. All right, we've got speed, but we don't hardly know what direction we're going. Some of you are middle school students or high school students or college students. There's all kind of pressure to do everything well. There's school pressure, class, performance pressure, relationship pressure. You feel like you have to do everything well and you're trying to do 15 different things and you've got space in your head and your heart to like do three of them well. And you're moving in so many different directions. You're pulled in so many directions. You got a lot of speed, but you don't even know what direction you're moving in. Some of you are in a season of life where your children are older and maybe you're still looking out for them and caring for them, but you're caring for aging parents at the same time. We've got a ministry here in our boomer generation called the Sandwich Crew because you feel like you're in such a sandwich all the time, pressured on both sides, and you're going in lots of directions. you got a lot of speed, but the direction, what direction are we actually going? Others of you have other appointments and careers and events and all kinds of things you're feeling pressured by. Some of you maybe are at a season of life where you feel like, actually, things have finally slowed down for me. And if that's the case for you, then you may have something to teach and model for the rest of us in ways you can help the community grow by your example. But a lot of our world is moving really fast. 
we're moving so fast, we don't really know what direction we're going. And it, it may be that it's time for a little concern about that. To ask ourselves, what if we win the race, but we won it to the wrong place? It wasn't even where life was supposed to go in the first place. Jesus, fortunately, taught his disciples about this on more than one occasion. He taught them about God. He helped them understand and see a picture of God and how God works in our lives and what the work of God is like in the world that as we come to understand it, I think will help us with this, will help us learn to live lives that are more like the lives that God intends for us to live. One of the occasions, actually, is the day that today is meant to commemorate. Today's a, a holiday. We call it Palm Sunday in our worship venues here. We saw our kids walk through with the palm branches waving around. We're remembering this time right near the end of Jesus' life, actually, less than a week before he died, when Jesus made this final triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, and he was hailed as a king. Jesus was a rock star on that day. The crowds were there. They were waving these palm branches that had symbolic value. They were welcoming the king. They took off their coats and they laid them down so Jesus' donkey could walk across the cloaks along the road. And Jesus was coming to Jerusalem from the east side, down the ridge of a place called the Mount of Olives. This is a really poignant moment for me and my own understanding of Jesus' life and purposes. And I, when I was with a group from First Lutheran in Israel about two years ago, I stopped and took several pictures from this location. I have a picture I brought along to share with you. This is a picture of modern-day Jerusalem taken from the ridge of the Mount of Olives. I, I took a lot of pictures, and when I went looking for them this week to show you, I actually couldn't even find them. <laughs> so this is not a picture I took. This is from Google Images. Thank you, Google. This is a picture of the city of Jerusalem uh, as you come down the ridge of the Mount of Olives toward what's called the Eastern Gate. And right along this path is a spot where the Gospel of Luke tells us that, that Jesus stopped, and while the crowds were getting ready to cheer his entry and his disciples were ready for this climactic moment, that he stopped and cried, that he stopped and wept over the people who were welcoming him because he knew how badly they were misunderstanding what God was doing. They had a lot of energy and a lot of passion and probably a lot of speed, and they were ready for the kingdom of God to come. And Jesus had come declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here among us. I'm bringing it to you. But they totally misunderstood how the kingdom of God comes. They were ready for a kingdom that they could usher in with all their own energy and by their own speed and that they could make happen by the sword just as soon as they could incite a war with the Romans to make it happen. And Jesus had come to Jerusalem to die. He had come to Jerusalem to embody the self-sacrificial love of God for his people and for the world, to unleash and inaugurate a kingdom among them that would begin to take ground in the hearts and minds and relationships and, and cultures of people beginning on that day and that continues to take ground in our hearts and minds and relationships and cultures even today. It was like they understood the kingdom of God was coming, but they completely misunderstood the nature of God and how God works to bring his kingdom among us, and Jesus stopped on the road to Jerusalem on the way down the Mount of Olives and cried for them and wept for them that they had energy and speed and passion but were moving in the wrong direction. And within a generation, they were gonna get the war they were trying to start, and thousands and thousands and thousands of them were gonna get slaughtered by the Romans. They were gonna win that race. They were just racing to the wrong place. There's another scene in Jesus' life that actually I really want to share with you today, and it happens pretty close to that same location. It happens if you back up the ridge of the Mount of Olives and kind of go over the ridge a little bit. There's a small town there called Bethany. And uh, actually, the, the publicity for this isn't out yet, but First Lutheran is sending another trip to 
Israel next year, next January, and one of the things I'm excited about is we're going to stop and visit this little small town of Bethany that was so important in Jesus' biography. I'm looking forward to seeing that. In Bethany was the home of some of Jesus' close friends on this earth. You may have heard their names before if you've ever read the stories of Jesus' life. They are Martha and Mary and, and Lazarus, whom Jesus loved. And Jesus stopped one day earlier than this event. He stopped at the home of Martha, and her family lived there in town. Lazarus seems not to have been around on this occasion, but her sister Mary was. And Jesus and his other disciples, they stopped, and they were going to share a meal with them, as Jesus often shared meals with his friends and disciples and those he was bringing to God. And they stopped, and they were going to have a meal, and Martha was there to welcome the guests into her home. Martha was the hostess with the mostess. Martha was, she was busy. She was cooking and cleaning and making hospitable preparations and getting everything ready. She, wanted, she was loving her neighbor in this way. She was trying to do all that she could. She was trying to do her best. Martha was all about this stuff. If Martha were alive in the 21st century, she would have a Pinterest page. <laughs> and you'd all be pinning things from it. That's what you say, right, Pin? I've never done that, but you do something like that. There are rumors that her last name may have been Stewart. Just awesome. But Martha got a little bit upset with Jesus. She was working so hard, she wondered why nobody was helping her. I have to tell you that uh, we, I think we live in a Martha world. I mean, we live in a world that's focused on task and busyness and speed and getting stuff done. I am a card-carrying member of the Martha fan club, right? Not the Pinterest page stuff so much, but everything else, task and speed. And Martha complained to Jesus. And she said, could, could you tell my sister Mary to help me out? Why isn't she helping me here? And Jesus answered Martha. He said to her, Martha, Martha. Has anyone ever called your name twice like that? You know, it just, it speaks so much, com it's compassion. There's correction coming, you know, there's correction coming. But I hear compassion and almost pity in it. Martha, Martha, you are distracted by too many things. What a devastating truth bomb that was, right? I just, I dare you mentally put your name instead of Martha's in that story. I can hear it. Steve, oh, Steve. You are distracted by so many things. And then he says to her, you know, Mary, your sister that you want to be helping you here, she's actually chosen the better way. And what was Mary doing? Mary was listening. She was listening. The Gospel of Luke tells us in Luke chapter 10 that she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, which is the first century Jewish way for saying that she was acting like a disciple. She was being a disciple of Jesus. She was listening to the voice of Jesus. She was learning the teaching of Jesus, being, being guided by the teaching of Jesus. And by the way, this is probably a topic for another day, but this is a revolutionary thing in gender roles in the first century Jewish world, that she was there to be educated and trained and able to live life and share this life with others just like the male disciples were. That's a really important part of the Christian legacy and Christian movement that we should talk about another time. There she was listening to the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen the better way. And what Mary learned on that day, what she was being apprenticed by Jesus to do, I can only imagine that at the end of the meal, that maybe in that moment, that in the coming days, she'd be taking the next steps that Jesus was teaching her to take. She would take them more slowly than Martha, I'm quite sure. But one or two steps in the right direction beats a thousand steps in no particular direction at all every single time. Mary had chosen the better way.
Let me ask you to think about your own life. Is there any space, is there any time in your life for listening to the voice of Jesus to speak to you, to apprentice you, to guide you, to invite you to next steps? Or are you, like Martha, like me, distracted by too many things? Let me use myself as an example again. I mentioned the whole the parenting thing just a minute ago. Imagine that in this coming week, and this should not be too hard to imagine, imagine that, that Amy and I, my wife and I, will be running our kids to 15 different things, to the lessons and the recitals and the rehearsals and the practices and the games and the tournaments and the appointments and the parties, and we will be doing this self-sacrificially for them to give them as many experiences as possible, as many exposures as possible to gain skills and to take them to things that they like. We will run ourselves, and unfortunately, probably them, ragged, trying to do all these things. And let's imagine that you are a parent. Some of you are, not all of you, some of you are. And imagine that you, however many things you do with your kids this week, I, I have no idea, and I'm not here to judge anybody's schedule on this. But imagine that somewhere in the midst of whatever schedule you have, you will stop, there will be space. It'll be slow enough. You'll notice your child in the middle of some activity being spontaneously kind to another child. Maybe including someone who'd been left out of the game or the group, and they'll invite them in. And then at an opportune moment after that, whenever you get a chance, you'll, you'll stop them and you'll say, good job on that. Maybe you'd be able to say something real simple like, I, I think that's what Jesus would have done if he were there. Tell me about your friend. And then, and then you'll have the moment to listen to what they say. And maybe you'll have the space in your head and your heart to listen to what Jesus is saying to your heart through them. In that situation, one of us would have been parenting faster, with more speed. One of us probably would have been parenting in the right direction, and it wouldn't have been me. One of us would have had the opportunity to listen. One of us would have had the opportunity to help disciple our children, to apprentice our children in the way of Jesus. One of us would have had the opportunity to be discipled by Jesus through our children, right? To be apprenticed in the way of Jesus through them. There are things in life that cannot be hurried. There are things in life that take time. And one of them is life restoration, to be restored. A lot of you this week asked me something this week. You saw in last week's bulletin or in our publications, you saw the title of this week's message. How are we going to make a pickle again? How is that? This message is called, do you see my little jar of pickles right up here? I have a jar of pickles right here. I'm going to open it up. Now, I love pickles. You don't have to like pickles to like this little story. I'm going to just, excuse me a second. Here's a little pickle. Mm-hmm. Mm, a good dill pickle. Now, you don't have to like pickles. Pastor Angie is in the other room right now cringing, but grateful that she's not in this room. Now, because can you smell the pickles up here? Now, I love pickles, but I can get tired of them. I get enough pickles, I get tired of them. I almost brought up a jar of pickled herring, because that's the good stuff. I'm not going to eat the whole jar. Never would have finished the message. Never would have finished. <laughs> Do you know what it takes to make a pickle? All right, it takes cucumbers, you got, or, or you can start with beets or carrots. Or you, I mean, some of you pickle all kinds of things, probably. Others, you are horrified that you do it. But you start with that, and then it takes salt and vinegar and water, right? It takes three ingredients to make a pickle. I just wanted to remind you, we got a little triangle image we've been using in this Restored series that's been reminding us and encouraging us to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we've talked about how the Holy Spirit uses the teaching of Jesus to renew us in our minds and in our hearts uses Christian community and relationships to shape us and, and soul training exercises. 
For the past 10 weeks, some of you have been pickling in these things. Some others of us have been a little too distracted to be doing that. We haven't really had time. For, for my sake, I know I've been here in worship each week with you, and we've been sharing in the teaching of Jesus, and my community group has been talking about and praying through things together about life and how we're learning these lessons. For me, the soul training exercises have worked some weeks, and I confess to you that some weeks I have been a little Martha. <laughs> I've been distracted by many things, and the weeks that I have have been gifts to me. They've been shaping my soul. I've been experiencing restoration through those things. We're going to use this again in part two of the series if you want a second go at this, if you want another chance to experience these, to pickle in these things like Mary. So you know what it takes to make a pickle? It takes something you start with, and then you got to have salt and vinegar and water and time, right? It takes time to make a pickle. Not the herb, that one, but time. It takes us time. Because if all you have is cucumbers, salt, vinegar, water, and five minutes, you have wet cucumbers, right? Not pickles. It takes time. Life restoration takes time. Direction matters more than speed. And if you're going in the wrong direction, it matters a lot more than speed. Direction matters and speed kills. Because of that, I want to leave you with two messages, two simple words for you. The first one is this. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. If you're looking at the work of God's restoration in your life and you think to yourself, I don't think I'm done yet. <laughs> I'm a little frustrated with how little restoration I'm seeing in heart and mind and life. I, the first word I want to speak to you is be patient with yourself. God's not done with you yet. This takes time. In fact, there's a verse that comes from the book of Philippians, and uh, believe it or not, it's in your soul training exercise for this week in the study guide in your bulletin. The Apostle Paul wrote to some Christians who were in the ancient city of Philippi, in Philippi that I'm confident of this, that God who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And God has begun a good work in you. Some of you have been part of this series for the last 10 weeks. Some of you might be here for the very first time today. God's at work in you. And he's not done with you yet. And so go ahead and pickle. Go ahead and take time. Listen to the teaching of Jesus. Be engaged in Christian community. Take a look at those soul training exercises and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and be patient with yourselves. And by extension, be patient with others because God's not done with them yet either. God's not done with your children or your parents, or your husband, or your wife, or your neighbor, or your colleague, or your friend. God's begun a good work in you and in them, and he'll bring it to completion, so be patient with yourself. The second word that I want to leave you with is that most of us probably, probably need to slow down. Most of us are distracted by too many things, and it may be that one of the things that you'll pray about this week one of the things we're going to invite Jesus to speak into our hearts about even today before our services end today is to invite us to a next step. And that next step may be evaluating what are all the directions I'm running that aren't helping me move forward, that aren't moving in the direction of the finish line that God's called me to, that are helping me win first place to the wrong place. Now, I want to just be realistic and recognize that in the way that your week is shaped right now and the way that my week is shaped right now, the next few minutes of the service, we're going to practice this. I invite you to listen to the voice of Jesus. Sit at the master's feet today. These may be the last minutes you have this week that aren't scheduled. These may be the last minutes you have that aren't distracted. And maybe for some of you, you're already thinking about how stopping at the grocery store on the way home or what you got to get on to next. And I just want to invite you to lay that down in the moments of prayer and worship that we have left in our worship services here this morning. 
Listen for the voice of Jesus speaking to your heart, speaking words of encouragement and restoration and hope, and steps forward, and steps forward. Let's begin listening in prayer now. Lord Jesus, we confess that we are distracted, and we want to listen. We would love to sit at your feet and listen, together with others by ourselves, to hear your voice calling us forward into relationship with others, into some of the tasks that you have for us, into life with you. We pray you'd speak to us, that you'd help us see what your priorities are for us, for our friends, for our callings, for our families and relationships. And you would help us see through the thousand directions that we're running and move in the direction that you are. We're listening. Teach us to listen. Amen.